0: great to be here amongst you and uh, i want to share with you a uh, what god put on my heart when i was first asked a few about a month or so ago to be here today and i really believe this is a a word for this church it's um i believe it's something that god's going to challenge us as a church challenge us as a people to rise up in these days we are living in challenging days you would agree Days of great challenges that are upon us. And I believe that God wants to speak to us this morning and to challenge us and to stir us. Um, I really sense the um, presence of God in the sense that he was here in the midst of us, wanting to speak to us. And uh, the gathering that we have when we gather together, whether it be a Sunday morning, Wednesday, whatever the case is, whenever we gather together... It's not just to fill in time, it's to be exposing ourselves before God. The children of Israel were told that they had to appear before the Lord three times a year. They had to appear before God and there God would give them instructions and then they would set governance in place and they would uh, eat certain feasts and whatever because there was business with God. And I believe that we in the New Testament should be just as keen and eager to do business with God when we meet together. And so we're here to do business with him. And he's, he's open and answers, answers our cry and all the different particular things that you're going through individually and whatever. That's, that's, that goes without saying. God's interested and God wants to touch and wants to care. But I've learned something. When we get involved in what God's up to, it's amazing how he gets into what we're up to. But if we're just after God to get involved with what we're up to, we don't always see that God gets that involved. But when we're involved with what God's up to, it's amazing how he takes care of the other things. It's like what it says there, a soldier doesn't take his own affairs in the uh, the matter. He's interested in the affairs of of being a soldier and they take care of the rest. So it's a bit like that. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to open to 1 Samuel chapter 11 if you would. I'll read it to you, 1 Samuel chapter 11, I'm going to read it in the NLT version, just to make it a little bit easier to understand, and I'm just going to read read most of the chapter there, because it's important that we understand it. About a month later, King Nahash of Ammon led his army against the Israelite town of Jabesh-Gilead. But all the citizens of Jabesh asked for peace. Make a treaty with us and we will be your servants, they pleaded. All right, Nahash said, but only on one condition, that I gouge out the right eye of every one of you as a disgrace to all Israel. Give us seven days to send messengers throughout Israel, replied the elders of Jabesh. And if no one comes to save us, we will agree. To your terms. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and told the people about their plight, everyone broke into tears. Saul had been plowing a field with his oxen, and when he returned to the town, he asked, What's the matter? Why is everyone crying? So they told him about the message from Jabesh. Then the Spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul, and he became very angry. And he took two oxen and cut them in pieces and sent, them, sent the messengers to carry them throughout all Israel with this message. This is what will happen to the oxen of anyone who refuses to follow Saul and Samuel into battle. And the Lord made the people afraid of Saul's anger and all of them came out together as one. And Saul mobilised them at Bezak he found that there was that there were 300,000 men from Israel and 30 from Judah and Saul sent the messages back to Jabesh Gilead to say we will rescue you by noontime tomorrow and there was great joy throughout the town when the message arrived and the men of Jabesh told their enemies tomorrow we'll come out to you and you can do with us as you wish but before the dawn the next morning Saul arrived having divided his army into three detachments and he launched a surprise attack against the Ammonites and slaughtered them the whole morning and the remnant of their army was so badly scattered that no two of them were left together. Father, just open this up to us that we would see what this story is really all about. To understand its application in our Society and in our churches today, and in our own lives, we ask that. Amen. To understand this story, there's two things you need to understand. One, first one is the understanding of the word shalom. Anyone's ever heard the word shalom? Basically, we say it means peace, but that's not really what it means. It means peace when your enemies are defeated. Our concept of peace is a truce. Our concept of peace is making an agreement and making some compromised situation and so everyone's happy. But the concept of peace in the biblical sense, especially in this word shalom, means peace when your enemies are defeated. The only time you can really have peace is when the enemies, your enemies, have no longer any power. At the end of this story, we find that the Ammonites were so scattered that there was not two that could be together. They were scattered throughout the whole of the nation. They were no longer together. That is true shalom. That's a true victory. That's true peace. So the first thing you need to understand is when God talks about peace, He's talking about the end of your enemy's power over you. You follow that? When Jesus died on the cross, He defeated the power of Satan, he defeated the, defeated the power of death, he defeated the power of hell, he defeated the power of sin, so that he can say that these things no longer have dominion over us. Shalom, <laughs> a true victory in that sense. The second thing we need to understand is what this Anon, Ammon was really all about, the Ammonites, the history of the Ammonites. The history of the Ammonites gives us the context of what they were really trying to do. To do and what they were trying to fight. To understand Ammon, we've got to go back to the story of Lot. Remember Lot? He was a the nephew of Abraham, and they came to the place where they needed to separate. When they separated, uh, God had said to him, "If you go one way, I'll go the other," and so on. And so Abraham said to Lot, "You choose where you want to go." And Lot said, "I will choose the well-watered plains of Sodom." and he went down into the well-watered plains and the Bible says this and he pitched his tent towards Sodom right? he pitched his tent towards Sodom next time we read about Lot he's actually in Sodom next thing we read about Lot he's actually sitting in the gates of Sodom the next thing we know two angels appear at the gateway of Sodom and Lot sees them and realises they are angels of the Lord remember the story? And as they come in, they, he realizes that they're, they're, they're angels of the Lord, they're special beings, and he takes them into his house and gives them something to eat. But at that time, Sodom and Gomorrah were so bad that they appeared at the door demanding that they send these two visitors, these two angels, these two men out, so that they might know them sexually. This is so depraved that they would want them to do that. To the visitors of the town, they wanted to rape them. Incredible. And Lot is now in a place where he has lived a life of compromise. Now the Bible says that although he was a righteous man and the Sodomites and all the things that were going on there vexed his righteous soul, yet he was in a place of compromise. Listen to me. Compromise will always take you further and further and further into the choice of the lesser of two evils. He's got two angels. The men of the city are banging at the door demanding that he gives them over. He has to make a decision. Do I give them the angels or do I give them something else? And the father says, I will give you my two virgin daughters and you can abuse them instead of the angels. You see where compromise takes you? Take you to a place of absolute confusion a place of whatever. And when we live a compromised Christian life, we always get taken down into the lesser of two evils. I going to tell you, it's time for the church to stand. It's time for us as believers to stand and to not compromise. Not to be arrogant, not to be self-righteous, but to make a stand on the things of God, to not compromise the word, not compromise the truth of the gospel. Do you follow me? because we will be taken down, taken down, taken down to a place of the lesser of two evils. And he did. He offered his two daughters. Now, as a father, I don't even know how he could even consider that. But when you're in a place of pressure and compromise, this is what takes place. The story, of course, as you know, is that the angels say, step back, blinded them all and told them to get out of the city. The answer was, get get all the people out of the city. Get... Get, get your family out of the city. And he goes to see his daughters and their son-in-laws and all that stuff, but they just laughed and thought it was a great joke. You notice that it's interesting, Abraham had been praying that if there'd be 10 righteous, if there'd be just 10 righteous, I will spare the city. Could not even find 10 righteous, they could only find four. Four that came out. The other three would remain the 10, but with their husbands, but it, they, did, they stayed. And as he goes out, we find the end of it is that we come across that great theological question that we're all pondering and that is when Lot's wife turned around she got turned into a pillar of salt. The theological question is that if Lot had turned around would it have been turned into a pillar of pepper? Oh. <laughs> is that right? I know that's something I ponder and wonder for days. But he lost his wife You see, you watch this story, it gets sadder and sadder and sadder to the place where they look back and see the the pillar of smoke and the daughters say, the world is finished, we need to repopulate the earth. So they get their father drunk and they sleep with him. He must have been a fertile old fellow because they both got pregnant first time, I think. So anyway, and so the first one gives birth to Moab, who becomes the father of a a nation called the Moabites. Okay? Moab means son of my mother's father. Son of my mother's father. An incestuous situation. Now You've got to remember, this is Lot, a righteous man whose soul was vexed, but because of a life of compromise... Is the father of his daughter's son called Moab, who became the enemy of Israel. You follow? The younger daughter does the same thing. She gets pregnant and she gives birth to someone who becomes known as Ammon, and he becomes the father of the Ammon. Ammonites. Now this guy called Nahash his name means snake or serpent a cunning one. Ammon and the Ammonites are the fruit of compromise and the fruit that comes with that is this ability to make you want to compromise, make you want to sell short, make you want to Lose your perspective on things. To make a bit of a a deal. And these guys, the Ammonites, were particularly vicious. If you study it and look into it, which we haven't got time to get into today, but you'll discover that they were notorious to rip pregnant women open to get their babies out. They would pluck the right eye out of uh, people, out of their enemies, just to cripple them which is what he offers to do here. They were a particularly vicious group of people trying to come in. And they come one month after Saul has become king, anointed to become king. He hasn't been inaugurated yet, but he's now probably been rumoured around the whole of Israel that there's a guy called Saul who's now being anointed to be the king and would have been gossip going everywhere. And at that time, about a month later, Nahash... And the Ammonites march up to a place called Jabesh-Gilead. And Jabesh-Gilead are absolutely in fear of this vicious, wicked man, this, this snake that is coming to deceive and to destroy and to take them. And he believes that they will wipe them out, kill all their pregnant women, whatever the case is, they're absolutely devastated by it. And out of that, they are forced into this compromise And they go out to him and they say, we will serve you if you allow us, if you allow us to make a covenant with you. And Jabesh, uh, sorry, um, uh, Nahash decides that the only reason I'll make a covenant with you is if I can pluck out your right eye. Now, I want you, where's Josh? Where's Josh? I want you to get up, Josh, and open that bag. And if anybody wants one of these, you can grab one. I want you to put a patch over your right eye. Come on. Put it on. Put one on. <laughs> Hand them out. There's a bunch of them in there. Give them to anyone who wants it. Come on. While he's doing that. Now, I want you to think about this. All the men in that town in that city would have their right eye plucked out not just put over with a patch like I'm doing but literally physically pulled out of their head now the interesting thing about that is when you have your right eye plucked out something happens you'll lose your ability for depth perception you can still see But you lose the ability to work out distance. You work out the ability on the right side, you're blind. I believe that what that story is really all about is that when you make a compromise, you lose your ability to discern. Use your ability to discern. To discern is something that the Bible is very, very, very strong about, discernment. When you lose the ability to discern between good and evil, right and wrong, when you lose the ability to discern what spirit is behind something, when we live in a place where our right eye has been plucked out, we become useless as far as the spiritual kingdom is concerned. Do you follow me? You see, they said, we will pluck out your right eye and then you will serve us. They will serve them in menial, trivial tasks. But the reality of it is that they were no longer able to perceive. They were now people who had lost their perception. They were now a people who were unable to discern, distance or whatever. They became subservient, useless in what they were doing. The other thing is that they no longer were able to be warriors. To understand what was meant by that was that if you lost your right eye, you would have a shield like the Scottish tagger, you know, the target that they have. And they would be able to hide behind that shield and normally they would stick their right eye, see what's going on and go back in. But a marksman in those days, by the time that you put your right eye out, you could get it back in again but if you put your right and your left eye out you would be gone you were no longer useful in battle no longer would you be able to be a warrior and this scripture this story which by the way is the only decent thing that saul ever did in his life but what he did was he understood that if they were to lose their right eye, they would lose discernment. I want to tell you, church, we need to live in a time where we are crying out to God again for the church to have discernment about what's going on. We need to discern what's happening. We need to discern what's taking place in the midst of us. Amen? Amen? We're in a time when the enemy, this... Ammon spirit, this spirit of compromise, this spirit of wanting to make a covenant with us to to lessen our effectiveness and to call us to shut up and to not say this and you can't say that and whatever. You can call it political correctness if you like, but that's really what's behind it. It's the spirit of this thing. It's a spirit of insanity that's upon our nation. The Western world is insane with what it's doing and what it's saying. You know, the, the, the Ammonites worshipped Moloch. And Moloch was this great brazen beast where they used to throw babies into the fire. I'm going to tell you, we've now got a society that wants to throw and sacrifice our children into sexual confusion, gender confusion. Our babies are being sacrificed. Our next generations are being sacrificed into this god of Moloch. It says you cannot take fire into your bosom and not be burnt. The sex trafficking, the, the gender confusion, the incest, the things that are going on, the, the fierceness of these things that is running around our society today. Our governments are blind to it. Our governments are in promoting it. Our governments, our education systems, our politicians, our media, it's rampant with it. The church has got to get discernment. Do not let the enemy pluck out your right eye. Don't let the education system pluck out your political system pluck out your right eye. Let's get back to the word of God and find discernment again. Not only to discern, to discern what's happening, but to discern what to do and how to fight against it. These things are there. Everywhere you find this Ammonites, everywhere you see the word Ammon and Ammonites, study it. You will find that in every case, compromise comes through. It was through the Ammonite wives that Solomon worshipped foreign gods. Incredible. You see this word Ammonites there. We need to be people of discernment. Discern means to examine or to judge. To investigate, to inquire, to scrutinize, to sift through the question, to interrogate, to examine, and the accused or a witness, to judge of, to estimate, determine. We need to be back at that place. We want to have that level of this perceptive depth. We need to have that ability to defend ourselves in battle. The interesting thing that was interesting to me about this story was that it got to the place where Nahash went one step too far could you imagine had he said to those people make a covenant with us and they said said, well you give us 20% of everything you've got I reckon Nahash Gilead would have said yeah okay that's a fair enough deal but the enemy pressed it too far. We went one step too far. You understand that? And there was a reaction. I'm praying that the enemy that is trying to push our society is going to take that one step too far. And there will become a reaction that begins to say, Enough! Enough craziness! God help us! And the church will rise up. It says the Spirit of the Lord said the Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul and he became very angry. I don't know, you could probably tell I'm being a little bit ticked off. <laughs> but I tell you, it's time for the Spirit of the Lord to come upon the church again and for us to rise in righteous anger. Not against the people, not to go out and march on the streets with placards, not to go out and... the and to form our own political partner. That, that does not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a righteous anger that causes us to come to a place of gather in prayer, a gathering in worship, a gathering in the, in the weapons of our warfare. They're not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The change of society and a nation Like the John Knox of old that said, Give me Scotland lest I die. That changed a nation. These people, the covenanters that paid a price, yet changed a nation. Why? Because there is this sense in which I believe the Spirit of God is brooding over his church today. I, I, I sense it's like Goliath Goliath coming and defying, Give me a man that we may fight. And God's up in heaven saying, Yes, give me a man. Give me a man called the body of Christ. Give me a man called the body of Christ. Oh, send them. This, this story to me is a prophetic picture of our day. There's going to come a cry one day Enough. But is there a church that's going to rise up and say take courage, there is a God in the church who is able to deliver. The Bible talks a lot about discernment and we haven't got time to get into it. In Proverbs 2 it says cry out for discernment and seek and search for it. Understand the fear of the Lord and find He's trying the knowledge of God. His Ecclesiastes says, "Wise men discerns time and judgment." Solomon asks for a discerning heart for justice. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the discerning of spirits. we need to discern discern what spirits behind things. I think we need to understand that. We need to understand what spirit is driving our government. What spirit is driving our media. What spirit is driving our society and our education systems and all these things. What spirit is driving the compromise in some of our uh, mainline church systems and so on. We need to understand what spirit's behind this thing. We need to discern the Lord's body. And that's not just all about communion but discerning the body of Christ says the men in Issachar had an understanding or a discernment of the times and knew what they should do. The Bible says the word is a discerner of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. Jesus rebuked the multitudes in his day because they could discern the times and the seasons but they couldn't discern the visitation of the Messiah in Israel. Guys, we need to ask God for discernment. We need to cry out to him for discernment in these ways Malachi 3 talks about a book of remembrance and that there will come a time there where the people who fear the Lord their name will be written in the book of remembrance and it says that there will be a distinct, distinction between those who can discern between righteousness and evil I believe we're living in those days church where the heart's cry of God is will there be people that will be able to discern what's going on? And in discernment of what's going on discern what to do about it. It's one thing to be able to say hey there's all this tough. It's another thing to be able to know what to do about it. The spirit of the Lord that says here came upon Saul. And he was greatly he's Anger was greatly aroused. He sent the, the uh, bullocks out, cut up in pieces and gave a warning. And the Bible says, The fear of the Lord fell on the children of Israel and they were of one spirit. Yeah. Guys, let me say this to you. I've got a funny feeling things are going to get worse i'd love to be able to stand here and prophesy and say we're going to have pillows for your elbows and pillows for your legs and pillows for your knees and nice soft seats and beautiful times but i can't because i've got a feeling that it's going to get worse i think there might be some fiery furnaces i think there might be some lion's dens out there there might be some stuff that we're going to have to go through as a church it's happened in other nations why won't it happen here it's happened in this nation before why won't it happen here until the sermon then comes a cry upon us. The Old Testament talks about men that went around and tore their shirts. The shirt tearers. They would tear their shirts in anguish. And the Bible says, don't tear your shirt, but rend your hearts. The cry to God. God, do something. Deliver us. Saul, it says, the spirit of the Lord came upon him. I like what it says in one translation. It says, a spirit of fortitude came upon him. A spirit of fortitude, that means courage over a long period. Courage over a long period of time. As we stand against the spirit of the age, the zeitgeist, as uh, Martin Luther called it, the, the, the world systems and all its thinking, We need to have a spirit of fortitude and take our way and push our way through it. When the Spirit of God came upon Gideon, it says he blew a trumpet. When the Spirit of God came on others, they blew trumpets. I want to tell you, the Spirit of God's coming upon the church and the trumpet is blowing. There's an alarm being sounded in Zion. There is a trumpet that's being sounded. See, a trumpet in the Old Testament always spoke of a prophetic voice he told the prophet lift up your voice like a trumpet you know there's all these people that live in the world today all these christians that are waiting for the trumpet of gabriel to blow and then the church gets taken up and taken away but it's nothing to do with a trumpet not a literal physical trumpet it's actually a prophetic voice have you got an ear to hear the trumpet of the lord are you hearing the prophetic voice today Are you hearing what God's speaking and saying to his church? What do you think God says when he says, let him who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the church? Because I believe that we are the answer for Scotland. You're the answer for Whitburn. You're the answer for, was it Westlovian in here? There is an answer. As we prayed this morning, I said, God, you have gathered us together here for some reason. And I think it's because he wants to blow a trumpet. I think because he wants there to be a spirit of God rise up within us. The spirit of fortitude to come upon us. That says we are determined to pray this thing through. We are determined to not pray like we used to pray but to pray according to the will and the purposes of God. The church is meant to be the pillar of truth, the protector of the truth, the proclaimer of the truth, the guardian of the truth so that we are in that position. Saul broke the 330,000 men he had. 330,000. That's not bad. And he broke them into three companies and said that we will be there before the morning and then we will go in there and take them. And he did that. He broke them into three companies. I believe the Spirit of God told me that the three companies that he wants in these days is a people that understand prayer and worship. A people that have a discernment of what happens when we pray and worship. You see, we can come together and sing songs and say, we like that song, we didn't like that song. It was a good service. It wasn't a good service. We, we, sang, we sang too long. We sang too short. We didn't sing. We sang too loud. We sang too soft. We don't, and whatever and we go away saying, oh, that was a good... But that's not really what worship's all about. It's about the presence of God, yes, by all means. It's about blessing Him and opening up and worshipping Him and becoming exposed before His presence and all those things that's involved there or whatever. But there's another aspect to do with praise and worship which absolutely is astounding because it says, let the high praises of God be in our mouth and the sharp two-edged sword in our hand and then we will bind the kings with fetters of iron. Hallelujah. Something takes place in the realm of the spirit that when we are worshipping and praising God, something takes place. And if we discern that, And we come together on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday or whatever it is, whenever we get together, when we worship at home in our own homes, and we do that, and we begin to worship God and see Him in that, we can actually discern that God is actually doing something in the spiritual powers that are around about the spirits that are behind what's going on in our nation. It concerns me. It concerns me. In the last 12 years, The deterioration that we've seen in the Western world as far as these uh, abominations in our nation, like I've never seen before. Yet, less and less churches, I think, are understanding what praise and worship's all about. Man, if we could all get together, we could all just get this understanding and realize that when we come together on a Sunday morning, it's not about us, it's not about me, it's about him and what he's doing in the earth. Friend of mine, he he they had a, a, a gay mardi gras being held in his town and his his area. And he felt so stirred in his spirit about it. He called his church together to pray and worship. And they prayed and they worshiped for a week. Every night they were together. They worshiped till all hours of the day. Worshiping him and praising him and just lifting up and 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 just allowing the presence of God to come but they realised that as they were doing it they were binding the spirits with fetters of iron, they were doing something in the supernatural realm that was breaking it and as they were doing it all of a sudden they felt like it's done, the spirit of God came, it's done, it's finished the next day the newspaper headlines was gay Mardi Gras cancelled because they do not feel welcome in this city no one said anything, there was no article, no no. What happened? Something in the spirit broke because a church understood what praise and worship is really all about. Imagine across the nation what would change. I'm sick of trying to logically talk to people. You don't get through with logic, you don't get through with understanding or reason. But we can get through with weapons that are not carnal but are mighty through God that pulling down the stronghold. Do you understand? We haven't got to be magicians, we haven't got to be magic, we haven't got to be anything great. All we've got to be is obedient. Oh God, we worship you in spirit and truth. You read Psalm 149. It talks about them breaking their bands of iron and their fetters of steel. Talks about binding them, these powers of darkness. Prayer and worship is a major area. Let's get away from just bless me prayers. Daniel spent 21 days praying for the fulfillment of the prophetic word that Jeremiah had. 21 days he spent seeking the Lord. And on the first day that he prayed, an angel was sent with a message. But it took him 21 days of intercessory prayer before the answer came is amazing? Michael came and had to deal with the prince of the power of Persia. Let me tell you something. I believe there's a prince of the power of Scotland. There's demonic powers that are using our politicians and our media like puppets. Because there's no way in the world they could come up with the conclusions that they do. I do. I was quite concerned at one stage when salmon and and um, uh, sturgeon were in there. I thought something's a bit fishy here. Oh. But, <laughs> but more importantly, is that we're not against those as people. We're against the spirit. And David, David, when David went against an enemy, when Saul went against an enemy they didn't compromise, David said God, smash them in the cheekbone, break their teeth smite them pluck them, pluck certain of their beard do all these things they were vicious against physical enemies, now I'm not suggesting that we be vicious, don't anyone walk out of here and say, we're joining Ron's terrorist team, we're going out (laughs) you know Christian jihad no, no, no but when it, comes, when it comes to the things of the Spirit, let's be ruthless. God confuse them. Yes. Break their teeth. Break their power. Break their authority. Break them in Jesus' name. That these things be broken and busted because they are destroying multitudes and thousands and thousands. I want to see people swept into the kingdom of God, don't you? I want to see such a move of the Spirit. I want to see revival hit this nation like it did before. Even more so. But it's going to come not by um, protests. It's not going to come by marches. It's going to come by a church rising up. Rising up and being ruthless against the powers of the enemy. These things. We've got to wait for that stirring in the mulberry tree. A worship that focuses on God not on us. Songs that are about him, not about us. It's all about me, Jesus. You should do things my way. You know? A discerning of these things. A discerning of prayer and worship. We... Tell you a story, and then I'll quickly do the other two and leave them for later. But look, many years ago, a Teen Challenge student in America, when Teen Challenge was first started, went out. They used to send them out to different churches for six weeks or so in the summer. And he went out to a church and he was there helping in the church and everything. And they had a prayer meeting every Tuesday morning at seven o'clock in the morning. No, <laughs> there was a prayer meeting in the morning or whatever it was. And this old guy. And I love old guys because I'm one of them now. But look, <laughs> this old guy got there. And this, is, this was his prayer. Lord, clear the cobwebs from our eyes that we may see. And the next day, clear the cobwebs from our eyes that we may see. He prayed the same thing over and over again. For six weeks this went on until finally the Teen Challenge guy could take it no longer. And the old guy got there and said, Lord, clear the cobwebs from our eyes that we may see. And the teen challenge guy got up there and said, Lord, kill the spider. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, we need some spider-killing prayer meetings. Not to go and tell God what he already knows. Not to go and recite to God how bad things are. Not to get Him to clear the cobwebs from our eyes that we may see, but to kill the spider. We had a men's prayer meeting that we ran in our church back in Australia, and we called it the spider killing prayer meeting. (laughs) And every man knew. And they would come, and I don't even know how theological some of these prayers were, but I tell you what, they were passionate. The people, there was men there going, Lord, we don't know what's going on, but whatever it is, kill the spider! (laughs) Kill the spider! If anyone walked in there, they thought we were exterminators or something. (laughs) But i tell you what, their hearts was, go to the jolly problem and deal with it. We need some kill the spider prayer meetings, amen? We were not gathering to tell God how bad anything, but, but tell God, God, do it! In Jesus' name kill the spider amen i want to see some spiders dead around the place the second thing that I, that I believe they broke them into the, the prayer and the worship and the and so on like that prayer and worship go together guys you understand that don't you it's not just one or the other it's together the second thing is that they were that i believe there was a group that were strong in the word Strong in the word of God. Strong in the things of the word. Understanding what it is. Guys, we've got to get past bread for today.